This is AudibleGate. The journey to a fair deal for authors and narrators, with your hosts, Jacob and Jason. Bringing you the real facts and people behind this truly mind-blowing cluster And Bob Carrigan said, back in 2014. Whenever you have a chance to do something that is experimental, and I mean, obviously you don't want to be reckless, but take measured risks, because that's a way to really make significant jumps ahead. And in January 2020, Audible took a risk by making him CEO. And it was later that year that the glitch occurred under his leadership, revealing that everything the wild animals over at Amazon were doing was questionable at best and allegedly illegal at the worst. Then, U.S. Congressman David Cicilline, chair of the House Judiciary Subcommittee, said during Jeff Bezos' testimony, Quote, Amazon strings you along for a while because it feels so good to get that paycheck every week. We called it Amazon heroin. But at the end of the day, you find out that this person who was making you feel good was just ultimately going to be your downfall. End quote. And so, dear mankind, who rules over the fish, the birds, the livestock, and the creatures moving along the ground, let's get you your hashtag AudibleGate podcast fix. Ooh. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to the official AudibleGate podcast supporting the equitable rights movement. Hello, all. This week, we're going to cut to the chase without our usual intro banter because we have a whoa, very whoa, amazing. Whoa, wait, 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 we talked about this. No, when? Like five minutes ago. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. I thought you were joking. Jason, I don't have a sense of humor. I'm British. Yes, right. <laughs> but but our dear listeners from around the world live for our intro banter. It's a number one thing that people comment on when they come and listen to the show. I mean, yeah, they're like, they like the interviews and learning about all this Audible and Amazon and AudibleGate stuff. I mean, but but I mean, it's it's their favorite thing. To listen to us in the beginning, you know, I mean, after my Bible thing. Yeah, what is it with the whole Bible thing, you know, your your decision there? My creative decision there? Well, I like satire, mood music, and pointing out hypocrisy, okay? Okay, fine. Right, so on with the podcast. On with the podcast! On with the podcast! One, two, three. On with, with the, the podcast. podcast! Today, we're going to be talking with William Ball, who has narrated and produced around 400 audiobooks. 400? 400, yeah. Hello, William, how are you doing? Hey, William. Hello, how are you? Ooh, <laughs> you got one of them sexy narrator voices. <laughs> Only in the morning. It's like uh, just after 7 a.m. Here. Well, before Jason gets a little bit too inappropriate, William, <laughs> oh, why yeah. don't you just give us a little bit of an introduction <laughs> as to who you are, what you do, and where you are? Please. Well, I currently live in Washington State. I got into narrating when I was living in Alaska. I was kind of at the bottom of things. My life had basically fallen apart for various reasons. I didn't really have anything else to do, and I, a guy that I knew asked me if I would read a book that a friend of his had written, and at the time I knew nothing about it. I agreed to do it, and that was my first attempt. I recorded the whole book in, in one file. I didn't know anything. I was <laughs> completely naive to everything. I didn't have anything to lose at the time. I didn't have any career prospects. I had recently been working on the North Slope of Alaska, 
doing wow. shift work where I would work for four weeks on, I'd be out on a, at a remote campsite and then I'd have wow. two weeks off. So that's what I was doing. And it was kind of burning me out because I wasn't really enjoying it. It was okay work, but it, it wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. So this sounded like something that was possible and then not knowing anything about anything. And um, <laughs> I jumped into doing some auditions on ACX Okay. And my first auditions were pretty rough. When I go back and listen to them, they sound horrible to me. Just absolutely, I, I wouldn't want anybody to hear them uh, publicly. <laughs> so I've learned a lot since I started narrating and I've developed my skills quite a bit. And I've just been going pretty solidly since then. Gotten a few repeat customers, people who wanted me to do books, which which is great. And I think that probably happens for anybody nice. who stays in it for a while. You you mm. start getting some people who, and and I know I'm not unique in that. Uh, you develop some um, some networking relationships, and that's what happened with me. I developed relationships with different rights holders who may right. or may not have been the authors of the books, because sometimes that's the case. Sure. And I kind of, I went from there. I, I did a lot of books the first two years. And then I started getting longer books, which obviously take longer to narrate. And that kind of slowed down the output a little bit. Right. So now I think I'm at 430 something books. All right. And I enjoy the work immensely. It's challenging. It's dynamic. It's different every day. The subject matter changes a lot. And I go through the challenges just like everybody else of having dry spells. It's a, it's, it's a feast or famine kind of experience for me. And right. I've heard from other people that it's the same for them. So I guess my experience is I started not knowing anything about it. And I've developed from there to now I think I'm decent. When I come back and listen to myself in five years, I might think differently. Who knows where I'll be five years from now with my skill level. Feast or famine? Could you go maybe a little bit deeper into what you mean and what your experience has been like that? Yeah, of course. Uh, for me, when I started narrating, when I started auditioning, I did probably 30 or 40 auditions. I got I think two books from those, Okay, not having anything to compare that with, no referencing. I thought maybe that was going to be the standard. And then eventually I got to a place where I was uh, maybe getting one book out of every 10 auditions. That was about my average. I didn't know if I was doing great or below. I mean, I didn't know because I, right. I didn't even know how to connect with other narrators at the time. I was so green and naive to the whole thing. Right. But I started getting regular schedule. I was getting new books and I was getting auditions and I was getting some repeat customers. And then all of a sudden things dropped off for a few months. I wasn't getting any auditions. None of the people I was working with before had any new books. Okay. And I had about three months of nothing. I wasn't getting anything. I right. was auditioning pretty much every day or every other day because I, I made myself find something that I could audition for every day and I wasn't getting anything. So I started to really question myself. Maybe I, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, maybe it's not for me. Right. And that was difficult because I, I didn't know if that was normal or abnormal or if it was just because I wasn't, I wasn't cut out for this. I wasn't narration material. Even though you had been, you know, thing of doubt comes in when, when we hit a, a dry spell. This question, I, I was having self-doubt, you know, I, 
I don't know if I can, if I should be doing this anymore. And it sounds like it was very similar for you. Yeah. After three or four months, I started slowly getting books again. It picked up for a while. And then about a year and a half later, I had a similar experience. It went for about three or four months. That time it happened to also coincide with an ACX issue, which my account became under investigation for some mysterious reasons, Ooh. which I, I still to this day do not know what was going on or I never got a clear explanation for what was going on because I was inquiring, uh, calling their customer service, which everyone knows is, um, I'm going to say substandard (laughs) customer service. I think it's been a a, a consistent moment of everyone having that that instance where they say, how do I politely say this? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be professional. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's very frustrating. Obviously, you mentioned that, you know, you're an extremely prolific narrator. What's your actual kind of recording and narration process? Just kind of walking us through that for the sake of our listeners who might not be in touch with that side of things. When I started narrating, not knowing anything about it, I was doing my own editing, which I learned to do from scratch. Didn't know how to do it. Watched some YouTube videos. Probably for the first 50 to 100 books I narrated, I edited them all myself. And then it occurred to me that I could probably do more work if I figured out a way to hire out my narration files to someone else for editing. One time when I was really busy, I had uh, three different editors, all that I hired through So at this time for auditions, when I'm doing an audition on ACX or anywhere else, I will edit the audition. Right. But for books that I have been given by somebody on ACX, a rights holder or an author, I hire that all out to somebody else. He does all my editing. That's worked pretty smoothly. It frees me up to just focus on narration at the moment. Nice. Good. Excellent. What's your opinion and relationship been like with ACX kind of putting through all this work and has your opinion of the platform that we essentially are discussing and and working through here, has that changed at all? Yes, it has. And not for the better. One of the biggest differences I notice now is that there are a lot more what I would call fraudulent postings on ACX. And by fraudulent postings, I mean books that are posted on there for audiobook projects. The rights holder is not the real rights holder. They somehow got a hold of the book that somebody else had written. And so I've actually had that experience a few times where I got a book and I thought, oh, this is great. It's ranked really well. It's, you know, this is excellent. My, you know, I'm really starting to get some great books. And then afterwards, um, I would do all the work. I narrated the book, which everyone who's narrated books knows it takes a long time to do a narration of a book. It just, it's a lengthy process and a lot of time. And following on from that, have you found that COVID has actually, and the pandemic has, has affected your business? COVID didn't have a huge impact on me initially because I was already working from home. So that wasn't a huge adjustment for me. At first, I think the work really did increase quite a bit. There were a lot more books posted and I was getting solid work. My income level also increased initially. Something changed, which I'm still not entirely clear what happened with with ACX. What happened after, I would say, probably the first five months of COVID, mm-hmm. My work stayed about the same, but my pay has decreased in the long term since COVID. How did you get involved with AudibleGate? 
what was your first encounter with it, right? And how has that affected you? And like you touching on finances right here, there might be some kind of link between the two. So your thoughts about that, please. Yeah, my first experience with it, I think, was last year. It was uh, towards the end of last year's. Yeah. There was a, a, a some kind of a glitch, I guess, with ACX where no... There weren't any updates for a while. Usually there's a daily update on, on book sales, which ACX has always stated. It's not something that we should rely on as narrators and, and as rights holders. But after that happened, I lost a large amount of sales. And that was my first experience because I didn't know what was happening. So I did probably like a lot of other people did. I contacted customer service and I wasn't really getting any kind of response that was legible to me or, or coherent. They just said they were looking into it. And I guess that's when I started looking for if other people were experiencing this thing, the same experience that I was having. And that's when I found the Facebook page that I think Susan May and a couple of other people put together. Right. And I found out that it was happening to other people. And that's when I first became aware of this return policy where it's like a library membership that people were paying a subscription for to check out books and return them. And the rights holders and the narrators were getting money taken back each time somebody returned a book. So it was the first time I became aware of that. And it was quite, quite alarming at the time. You were kind of getting in touch with other people and realizing it was actually not just something that was going on with your work, but across the board with many, many people experiencing this. Is this still ongoing now? Or have you seen a change? There were some policies that were brought in early January this year with a few changes in their returns policy and the way in which they were going to pay narrators and producers slash rights holders based off that. Has that made a difference positively for you or is it still a kind of negative impact from where you were previously? I would say that it's still net negative. It hasn't made a huge difference in improving my sales. I don't think there's any way to verify this new policy that Audible has supposedly where they, if somebody returns a book after seven days, I think that was their big new policy, then the author and the and the narrator get to keep the sale money from the book. Yes. Um, I, ha right. I haven't noticed a huge change as a result of that policy. Upon Susan May's recommendation, I started tracking like which category there's three different categories of sales. There's one where people use a membership credit and then there's one where somebody who's a member buys the book without using a membership credit. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one where somebody who's not a member buys a book at full retail. Right. Yeah. And so those three different categories, uh, are different for how much money is given to a rights holder and a narrator. The last category, a non-member buying a book at full retail is the one that pays out the most. And as a result, I think there's a there's been a shift in more people using the membership credits to get a book, returning the book, getting their membership credit back, and then um, getting another book. They can use one credit to check out nine different books. And each time that happens, apparently the rights holder, who may or may not be the author, um, usually it is, but not always, mm -hmm. and the narrator get their money taken back. If this doesn't change, where do you see this going? Because people are losing money from it, which means that there's obviously going to be less attraction to actually produce things 
whether you are the rights holder or the narrator, you're not going to want to put work out there because it's not financially viable. Do you see a solution to this? And if so, or if not, where do you see the audiobook industry as a whole headed if, if this doesn't change? Reality of it is that it's going to be a disincentive for people to continue turning out a product, in this case, uh, a book, first on the part of authors, because um, already writing a book, everybody knows there's no guarantee that book is going to be successful. I think that it's going to be a disincentive for people to turn out work when they know that they're already taking a risk. And on top of that, any money that they could have made is basically can be taken away from them and often will be because people are using Audible, for example, as a subscription library service where they can return books multiple times and get their credits back. For people who are just getting into the industry, they're probably not going to notice that a lot at first because for somebody who just started out like me, I was really excited the first time I got a book. I didn't really care if I made money off it or not at that time. I, mean, I would have liked to. Obviously, that would be the best outcome right. for anybody who does this work. But I was just excited to have been selected to to narrate a book. So for a lot of people starting out, they may not feel that impact until they've put a lot more time and energy into it. And then they realize that their profit is just not there because of the way the system is designed to not favor rights holders and narrators. Do you have advice for people who want to, you know, go work in this field? Like, would you say, yeah, go for it. And here's a different route or here's an alternate route or, well, this is how it is. So, you know, if you, if you want to put up with this, go ahead. Like, yeah. Do you have any advice? Yes. First of all, anybody can do this. If anybody who's, who can withstand, I guess, having a lot of rejection, for example, with me, when I got to a solid place, I was getting one book out of every 10 auditions on average. So be prepared to do a lot of auditions because that's pretty standard. I think I, I'm not unique in that experience. Um, it takes a lot of auditions to get a book. If you keep at it and you, you just don't give up on yourself, you can do it. I'm a, a great example of that. I, I just kept doing it. I kept going despite my lack of experience, not knowing how to do it a little bit at a time. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yep. And that's kind of how it was for me. Just one bite at a time, slow and steady. Don't expect to make a lot of money up front. My personal example, it took me, I would say about six to eight months to start making I don't know, uh, decent money, not, not money that I could live on, but part-time job money. And then after about a year and a half, I uh, started doing this as a full-time job, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a regular paycheck, nine to five kind of punch the clock kind of job. And it starts very slow. So have patience with yourself and don't expect to make a lot of money initially. Also a great resource for anybody who's Getting into this is a website called Audiobook Scout. I've started using it a lot. It flags what may possibly be fraudulent listings on ACX. Try to be aware of fraudulent listings and avoid them. People have different rituals, right? When they go into the studio, they're going to, you know, they're going to do their warm up. They might do a breathing exercise, you know. 
Me, I usually take a bath in rose thorns uh, the evening before uh, my 4 a.m. wake-up call for my sports romance audition. Um, do you do anything, sir, to prepare? When I first started, I, I didn't have any techniques. I was pretty rough. I didn't know about warming up my voice. Now, I certainly would recommend just do a little bit of of warming up the voice beforehand, it can make a big difference with the narration quality and the and the audition quality as well. I, I think that would be some simple advice, simple things that that can do a lot to improve the quality of of narration and and doing auditions. Do you do tea and honey or yak's blood? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think each person needs to find what works for them. Uh, if yak's blood works well for you. Go, go with that and don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't be doing that. There is one more thing I'd like to touch on that I think is really important yeah, before we wrap this up, if that's okay with you guys. Please do. As far as what I would like to see with ACX, I would like to see transparency. Yeah. By that, I mean specifically authors, rights holders, narrators can see on, on the sales reports exactly what the sales, how the sales are broken down make it transparent and not be so elusive. Trying to understand ACX and Audible is very difficult for somebody like me because I don't get straight answers from them. So a lot of times I don't know exactly what's going on with, with my account or my audiobooks that are on sale. And I would like to see more transparency. Right. I think that's possible with, with a little bit of dialogue between narrators, rights holders, and authors uh, with ACX and Audible, yep. possibly Amazon. I guess they're all three kind of the same thing sure. now. Just transparency. So people know what's happening. They know about their sales and how their sales are broken down each month. That would make it so much better, I think, for everybody involved. And the other thing is, I think ACX as the host, I guess, of audiobook projects, I think should work on reducing the number of fraudulent books because that is an injustice to the authors who wrote those books having their their work listed fraudulently on ACX and then somebody putting in time and effort to produce an audiobook based on a fraudulent listing it's a huge waste of time and resources and it's not fair to the authors who wrote those books initially and it's not fair to the people who got the project on ACX and did all the work and only afterwards does ACX decide that it's a fraudulent book after it's everyone's done all the work and it's up there listed for sale or it's pending approval and all of a sudden ACX decides it's fraudulent and removes it that's hugely unfair to a lot of people it should be changed it's the behemoth of the world, like you said, the largest company, and it treats everyone that provides its content in a way that is making a lot of people very, very unhappy, regardless of what side they're on. And even those that are not involved when it comes down to, you know, the fraudulent listings that we're talking about here, it might be an author that's never even considered audiobooks, and yet they get sucked into this problem with ACX Audible Amazon at the moment. It's a real shame and it definitely needs to be revised and have some change to support the industry moving forward. The responsibility, when you think about how the sales are broke down, Amazon gets 
of all the sales, the rights holder and the narrator split the other 40%, 20% each. So the responsibility should should be on Amazon. They get the most of the money. Clearly seems to be a big business versus little person. If you want to call it David and Goliath, so be it. But it really seems to be like that kind of mega conflict. Like those are the those are the two sides of it. You have big boss doing basically what they want with no oversight and people losing their shirts sometimes because of it. And we've had guests on this show who have been put into such an emotional, you know, horrible emotional state because they've watched their hard work literally just disappear. And I'm actually I'm very much, you know, looking at, yeah, what can they do to change this? And what are there going to be things that are going to be put in place that allow for people to get paid what they should be fairly paid? Is that even a possibility, you know? Bringing it back to that analogy you made earlier, William, of feast or famine, it's like the ACXs, the Amazons, the Audibles are feasting. And meanwhile, the rest of us are out here and there's a bit of a famine going on perhaps. (laughs) Yes, I think that's that's correct. That's exactly correct. I think the 60% and then 40 split is unfair. One thing that I would like to see is an equitable split. Maybe everybody gets 33%. I, I would like to see something like that, at least more equity, more equality between all the players involved. They decided the split, which means they can decide a new split. Exactly, exactly. It's, yeah. it's surely not an impossibility that things can be solved to be, as you say, equitable for, for everyone involved and to make everyone happy with the scenario. William, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and chatting to us today. We really, really appreciate it. And thank it's you actually so much, fantastic William. to have a narrator's perspective kind of talk to us about this and such a prolific narrator as yourself. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for getting up early and joining us in all of our... Uh, Uh, virtual lunacy over here. Thank you so much. Sexy narrator voices that produce their own audiobooks and don't like having their earnings taken away from them is very sexy, Jacob. Jason, what did I tell you about getting inappropriate about William's golden voice? Come on, you were into it. That's neither here nor there. What the hell does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It means... Uh, let's move on. Uh-huh, yeah. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all mm-hmm. seriousness, it's great to hear from such an experienced narrator about working with ACX Audible and how his relationship with them has changed over the years and not for the better. But hey, even though that's what has happened, he did have some hope with that three-way split he mentioned. <laughs> Giggity. Oh, Jacob, you <laughs> grow up. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to read more about AudibleGate, please visit audiblegate.com, where you'll find further analysis into the growing situation with regular updates, including Susan May and Colleen Cross's original blog posts. And please share this podcast on all your social media with hashtag AudibleGate to keep the momentum going. This is a serious situation with potential legal and financial ramifications, and it's really important we reach as many people as possible. Thanks to Orchestralis, Serpent Sound Studios, Feliciano School of Business, and CNET for the music and quotes used in this episode. This has been a J Squared B Cubed production. Written, directed, and edited by Jason Lasky and Jacob Daniels. This is Audible Gate. <laughs>